And last week, in the House of Commons, the MP Andrew Bridgen, a Conservative Party MP, asked Rishi Sunak, the Prime Minister, at PMQs, he asked him to consider suspending the rollout of the COVID jabs. And one of the reasons he asked the Prime Minister to do this was because he said, Bridgen said, that the mRNA jabs, uh, there are reports, the reports of injuries and death vastly outweigh the reports of injuries from conventional jabs over a 50-year period. He said reports of deaths and adverse events for mRNA jabs in 18 months are far, far more than 50 years of conventional jabs. That's a startling statistic. Now, you may very well have come across my guest this hour because he um, took part in a very important documentary, which you may, may, may have seen, called Safe and Effective, a second opinion. It was made by Oracle Films. Let's welcome to the programme Alex Mitchell. Alex, lovely to, to meet you, by the way, and thanks for giving us your time today. How are you? Fine, I'm fine, Richie. Thank you. Thank you for, for asking to, to speak to me. I really appreciate it. No, you're very welcome. I think it's important. Your, your story will always be important, and it's something we should talk about, I think, often. Not just now, but next month and next year, because there, people are, injuries are being reported, deaths are being reported, strange deaths are happening, doctors are going on to television programmes or news programmes like Sky News and saying things like, I've never known people to be as sick, and that's a quote from a GP called David Lloyd, um, who, who spends a lot of time on Sky News and also on the radio. And largely people are getting one side of the story. They're, they're being told that the COVID jabs are safe, they will protect you, and they will protect your loved ones who have them. And they're not hearing that there is another side out there. I'm going to shut up. Do you want to introduce yourself and tell us, I mean, your story began when you were born, but tell us about when you had the COVID jab, why you had it, and what happened after after that? Right. I'll go back to the first lockdown in 2020. They, they shut the whole country down, and it was 24-7 of don't hug your granny, don't kiss your granny, keep six feet away from everyone. The pressure was there telling us that people were dying in the millions. They were showing us people dropping down dead in the street. So, like everyone else, when they said that, you know, they had these vaccines to, to stop this virus, <clears throat> to protect the NHS and save lives, you went and did the right thing. And I did what I thought was the right thing on the 20th of March 2021. On the 1st of April, I experienced calf issues at work. I'm a scaffolder, so pulling muscles was a regular occurrence. Didn't think too much of it. But over the next couple of days, really struggled. And then on Sunday, the 4th of April, <clears throat> I collapsed at home. My legs gave way, and I knew then I was in trouble. Unfortunately, I was upstairs at the time, and my wife was downstairs in the kitchen with the door closed. She didn't hear me falling. <clears throat> and I had to pull myself down the stairs, head first backwards, which made a bit of a noise. Uh, my wife came out, obviously clearly upset and distressed at what me lying upside down at the bottom of the stairs. And something told me to always remain calm. Something inside me told me I was in trouble and I had to stay calm. And I asked my wife to do two things. So I asked her to get me a belt and to phone an ambulance. The belt, I've said before, there's too many... Oddie Murphy movies and westerns, I suppose, 
because at that point I could feel something in my left calf. Rushed to the hospital. I uh, spent seven and a half hours in the hospital in theatre. Before I went into theatre, the lady said I had to go for a CT scan and I had to give my permission, which I did. The CT scan was still spinning and the lady was standing beside me and she said, we need to go for a to theatre and we need to go now. And obviously I said, How, is it bad? And she said, yeah. I said, how bad? She said, the worst kind. And all you can do at that point is, <clears throat> is say, do your best. That's all you can do. The worst get, kind, she said, Alex. The worst kind. Yes, she she told me, uh, she basically told me I was in serious trouble. Did you know, to the extent how much trouble you were in, did you, you know, did you know not, what was coming? Not at that point, no. I didn't even know what had happened. I hadn't even made a connection. I just thought I'd collapsed and something was going wrong. Um, and as she left me to give me some time to prepare for maybe not saying hello to anyone again, um, I was given my phone and I spoke to my wife and my two daughters basically to say, sure you um, Because they'd be taken into a private room and told that there was no hope because <clears throat> they had never seen anything like this. They weren't giving up, but they, they, they just didn't have any hope. If I did survive, it would be from the waist up. From the waist up? Yeah, I spent seven and a half hours in surgery, having clots removed from my lower abdomen, my right leg and my left leg. They were doing this both legs at the same time because after four hours, they stopped counting clots because I did ask how many clots there was at one point. And she said, multiple. And I'm very confused because I'm still groggy from the anaesthetic. This is after seven and a half hours. And she's explained to me, oh, I've saved just some, your, your abdomen and your right leg, but with a serious concern about your left leg. And it's most likely to be an amputation at this point. What do you do Don't when you hear that, Alex? When, when somebody tells you, this is my, one of my worst nightmares. Would you believe that? Honestly, it is. It's it's to hear that when somebody says to you, "We're going to have to consider taking your leg." How do you process that? You don't. I've I've tried to answer that one. I'd love to say that you have clarity and you can think straight. You can, because every single thought you can imagine and ones that you probably don't imagine come into your head. Things like, "I'm never going to walk again." I'm never going to do this. This and it's just. All the things that you're never going to do, you don't, you can't really hold on to a thought for any prolonged period of time. It's, it just cascades into this mental carnage of all these things going on in your head. Um, the one thing I will say is that I think that when you've come, th you come through that seven and a half hours, and they tell you, you know, our first words to me were, "You shouldn't be here." We don't know how you're still here, but here you are, and here we hope you stay. Um, so I shouldn't have survived the, the seven and a half hours to remove the clots. I did ask for a week in the hope that it was going to be possibly a below-the-knee operation. They gave me the week. I realised behind hindsight they didn't give me the week because I asked for it. They gave me the week because I shouldn't have survived the seven and a half hour surgery I'd just done. And there's no way in my body would have survived 
another three and a half, four hours surgery had an amputation. I think that's a reality. Um, a week later, I was scheduled for a, an amputation in the hope that it would be a below the knee amputation. The vascular surgeon who amputated me, I call him my doc from Back to the Future because he's Doc, doc Brown. He's got the crazy hair, the big glasses. Go on. Wow. Um, he's of he's French and Swiss descent and he's the most caring, lovely man genuinely I've ever come across in the medical profession. He sat with me for hours and asked me why a below the knee was so important and I explained to him that not only was a scaffolder and it would allow me to do so much different as from and above the knee, but my passion in my previous life is I'm an old mod. I've been an old mod all my life. The old suited and booted and driving the old Vespas and Lambrettas, but I've always been a Vespa my lad. And that's been my passion. I was always out my scooter. I've had a scooter all my life. Um, I've had God knows how many scooters over the years. And because he didn't quite get the, the culture to get my mobile phone, going to my Facebook, showing my scooter rallies, going to where we've been in scooters, and he kind of got it. He said, why is this so important to you? I said, because this is my life. It's not just the clothes, the scooters, and the music. It's a way of life for me. It's about trying to be the best possible version of me that I can be at all times. And I've lived by that philosophy 40-odd years, because when I was 17, I made the decision to be a mod for life. And I don't see why I should change, so I don't see why I should change my attitude towards going on to my scooter. And his honest answer was he wasn't sure if I would be able to do it, it's not unheard of. You know, he was he, he wasn't telling me anything I didn't want to grasp on. He was always honest with me, but in the most caring way. I met him a few months after when I was doing an, an outpatient's visit. He was walking about the car park in the hospital, and I call him by his first name. So I shouted his first name out, and he's come over. I said, "What are you doing?" He says, I have 15 minutes spare in my lunch and I'm thinking about a couple of cases I have this afternoon that are very difficult and I want to make sure I do it right. That's the kind of level of dedication of this man. Both him and the vascular surgeon that saved me, they're the only two, I I don't deal with anyone else vascular-wise and I only deal with uh, the world's leading hematologists. They confirmed that it was vaccine-related round about the day I was amputated and on the 18th of, 17th of the 18th of uh, April when I left the hospital, eight days after being amputated, um, it wasn't confirmed in my paperwork that this was vaccine related. It wasn't called VIT at that point. I hadn't been classified. I found out about four weeks after that, that I was classed as a VIT, which is vaccine-induced thrombiotic thrombothenia. What that means is that in the the VIC cases, what the vaccine has done, and it's primarily AstraZeneca vaccine that does this, there's an antibody in your blood. You have your white cells, red cells, hemoglobin, plasma. If you go down a level, you've got antibodies, and there's a plate, an antibody called platelet PF4 antibody, and it's negative. It's such a small thing, but it's so vital. That's what keeps our blood the consistency. It is. If it's too thin, there's too much oxygen, 
and you die. If it's too thick and not enough oxygen, you clot and you die. That's kind of how important this little thing is. And the vaccine has caused that PF4 antibody to become positive, which kind of means that your platelets are what makes the clots. So your platelet drops, your D-dimer gets elevated because you've got more clots in your system. And the only way that they can tell is they then do what's called a PF4 antibody check. And that's what determines what fit is. It's quite a complicated, horrible condition. Um, in my case, I'm still 100% VIT positive and will be now for the rest of my life. What, what, does, the, what does that mean then, um, Alex? Does that mean constant medication to correct this? Yes, uh, twice a day I've got to take thinners. Um, if I don't take them, I have probably 10 to 12 days because my system it goes into a perpetual clotting motion. My PF4 antibody is positive, so therefore it's never going to run out, which constantly makes clots, uh, platelets to drop to make the clots, which raises the D-dimer. At the, the very early stage, my platelet count was down to 43, and my D-dimer was in the hundreds of thousands. It's, those have now settled now. My blood's as stable as they can get it, other than the PF4 antibody. Unfortunately, that causes other things. Uh, I have issues in my right eye with, we believe, well, it's not been denied, so I'm accepting now that a clot has exploded in my eyeball and caused some damage in my sight. The sight damage is permanent, but there's no more further issues with the clot. I've had scans, and I'm having a further scan in January. Yeah, so it's, it's the gift that keeps on giving. It's a lovely condition. As I wouldn't wish it my worst enemy. Vaccine-induced thrombosis. Thrombosis, thrombothenia. Thrombothenia. Yeah. yeah. It's a mouthful. It took me about three weeks to learn to say it. <laughs> when? And it's... It took me about three months to learn to understand it. To, to, well, I guess, yeah, I guess that you, you've done a lot of reading, obviously, since then. And when yeah. when they say to you, these learned men and women, and they say, Alex, look, it's the vaccine. I, I know it sounds such a it sounds such a drab question, but it isn't. How do you feel about that? What 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 goes through your mind when they say the vaccine did that to you? At the beginning. I was told I was the first in the world to survive with the level of clots I had. And I was. I was the first in the world to survive with this, at the level it was. So therefore you think, I'm extremely rare. It's horrific. It's a tragedy. I could deal with it if it was just me to a certain extent. If I was a one-off in the world. But sadly in the UK, there's 445 bits, of which 81 are sadly no longer with us. These and that's are just, these are claimed. These are these are re reports that we know of through the yellow card reporting system. Because obviously, my next one one of the points I was going to make to you, you know, I have to do this because there are people listening who they will have been jabbed themselves, and they will have sympathy for what happened to you. But they'll say, Richie, Alex is an exception. This, I mean, if 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 he wasn't, you wouldn't be talking to him. And where are all the other people around the country that have had such a horrific reaction as Alex has had? That's what some people will inevitably say. And I'm sure Alex on social media, and by the way, Alex is on 
uh, Twitter. Give him a follow on on on, on Twitter if, if you're on there. Um, I'll link to him later on when I put the podcast of this up. So give Alex a, a follow. So to those who say dreadful, Alex, and yes, yes, obviously the vaccine did do it, but you're just incredibly unlucky. What do you say to them? I say, okay, I accept that argument. What have you put in place for those that's extremely unlucky? Yeah. And the answer is silence. Because there was nothing put in place, Richie. I can confer- I can tell you for a fact that the sum total of preparation that the UK government has done for a COVID pandemic was add two words to a 1979 policy that wasn't fit for purpose. I've said this for 18 months and not one single government official or body has refuted that claim because it's not a claim, it's a fact. And have you been ignored by local representatives? Everyone. No one wants to know. No one wants to know. My MSP was very good in writing letters with regards to the vaccine damage payment scheme and trying to get some sort of a help there, which took a year and a bit. I was the first living person in the UK to be awarded £120,000. Sounds a fantastic amount of money, doesn't no, it? it isn't. It is, for a leg, and to be living with that for the rest of your life, of course it isn't. It's a joke, Alex. And nobody yeah. would disagree with that. It's a joke. It's... Can I ask you a few questions, right? It's 25 minutes past six. Alex Mitchell is on the line, and he's been detailing, Alex, how he, he lost his leg after being vaccinated against COVID-19. In um, in the spring, in the late winter, early spring of last year, so the thing I, I'm I've been very interested in in the last couple of years is this whole thing about informed consent, which you'll do a better job of explaining to the listeners what it is because you've done so much looking into it. But for our listeners, I suppose the basic explanation is when a doctor or a nurse is or 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 or, or somebody else medically trained is going to administer a vaccine to a person they, the person doing the vaccinating, must be sure that the person receiving it is giving informed consent to be jabbed. You know, that if I'm giving Alex a jab or he's giving me a jab, uh, we, we have to know that the person receiving it is fully understanding as to what it is, um, where it came from, and what it's going to do. So let's talk about informed consent, because this is obviously a big deal in, in your life. When you came... Uh-huh. Go, jump right yeah. in, jump right in, go on. The, my informed consent was a sum total of verbal. You may have a sore sight arm for 48 hours and you may experience cold flu-like symptoms for 48 hours. That was informed consent I got, not in a leaflet, it was verbal. Now, let's be honest, if informed consent explained that there was a likelihood chance of this being causing clots, because the MNA, the DNA vector that they used to drive this into people, they used 20 years ago, and it was causing clotting issues. So they've known for 20 years about the clotting issues. That wasn't in any informed consent. Amputation wasn't in any informed consent. Going blind in one eye wasn't on any informed consent. And VIT was certainly not mentioned in any informed consent. Informed consent is where you're told of the risk benefits to you. None of that was done. Now, that comes down to the government saying now, because we've looked at this angle, that that is the responsibility of the person doing the injection. 
It's only the responsibility of the person doing the injection if they have been given proper informed consent of what the, the issues possibly could be. And you don't think they were or, or that they have been? The vaccinators, the persons putting the jabs in, they've not no. been given a clear picture of what the jab actually is? No, because they're, they're actually pulling people off the unemployment list and training them to be vaccinators. Yeah. 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 So how, how, you know, someone off the street with who's a dental nurse that becomes, you know, that does the training to, to give an injection is not qualified to discuss clots, blindness, vits or amputation. You know, so therefore it comes down, did they know? No, they didn't know because they weren't informed of the possible issues. This goes all the way to the top. We keep going for people from the bottom up when we're looking out to sort things. Yeah. Always. The problem is not from the bottom. I'm not wanting some lady who was earning an extra £20 on a Saturday to help pay her bills or some man. I'm not interested in some person who's doing what they thought was the right thing. I'm interested in person, the people at the top who we now know is nefarious. These people can't hide what they've done. You know, the UK Health Regulations Authority has openly said we're now enablers and not regulators. Yeah, that's right. And 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 on that, what what is your feeling then as to why they were so fast and loose with informed consent? And they weren't fast and loose. They just didn't. It wasn't an issue for them. I, I know that nothing is really binary choice. Nothing comes down to two possibilities. There are many many facets to this. But um, is it just incompetence by elected officials? Or something a little bit more sinister? Does it come down to money? What, why do you think I, it happened like that? I think it's a combination of a, a lot of things. I think some people believe that they are doing the right thing and that the, these vaccines are saving more lives than, the, 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 than they're damaging. That's an, an opinion I'm quite happy to debate. If someone's prepared to get me verified data showing the lives that saved, I'll discuss that with them all day. Because I can show the data of the life that it's not saving and it's damaging. There's a difference. I can show you that data. That's verified data. I've got death certificates from people that you know, the coroners have put on it and the government are still fighting these people, not paying them out. This is the same regulations authority that's been under investigation, criminal investigation for the last two years because there's been regular payments made to the UK Health Regulations Authority from Pfizer and AstraZeneca. All true. Don't no, nobody talks about that. No, don't expect me to jump in and contradict um, Alex there because it's yeah. all true. And June Rain of the MHRA did say when asked by a parliamentary select committee, what does the MHRA do? Rather than say we robustly examine the medicines coming into this country to make sure they're safe, she said we, um, we, we basically um, provide access. We provide yeah. access to pharmaceutical companies. I've never heard anything as preposterous in all my life. I watched I, I, that live when it happened. I've um, never heard anything as crazy as the UK Health Regulations Authority, 95% of its board, all of their funding, research and training over the last their career has been sponsored either by Pfizer or AstraZeneca. That's not made up. That's a fact. 86% of the high the organisation's funding comes from pharmaceutical companies. So therefore, they're not there in any way to protect the public. There's a serious conflict of interest there. 
Same in Australia. Yeah. Same in many countries. Alex Mitchell is our guest. Alex, um, sorry, just let me do a very quick uh, reminder and then I'll shut up and get out of your way. Alex has been, uh, he's featured, he's done a lot of interviews. He's also been in a a very, very good film. I don't know if you've seen the film, but I recommend you check it out. You can watch it on social media. It'll be on BitChute, it'll be on um, Brand New Tube, it'll be on, I think it's still on YouTube. It's safe and effective, a second opinion. It's very important, particularly because at the moment, they are really pushing these jabs hard and they're pushing boosters on people. Alex was grievously injured by um, the AstraZeneca jab over a year ago and um, has lost the use. He's lost a leg. He's lost a leg because of it. He's, he's more or less blind. He is blind in one eye. And uh, got to, can, can we talk about, just for a minute, I know you were going to say something else, but you'll get plenty of time to do that. Of course you will. Can we talk about that vaccine injury payment thing? Something yeah. that's, that is genuinely keeping me up at night, and it is, I swear to God, it, it really is. Isn't there some legal pathway for somebody like you to challenge? I mean, if you could get the money, if you could crowdfund it, or if, if, if lawyers were to donate their time. Because surely the waivers given to the pharmaceutical companies by the governments, where they indemnify them against prosecution, surely those are null and void. Surely those can be attacked in a court of law. You know, and that the I, door can be open. Sorry, come in, Alex. Come in on that. I can't go into too much detail, but there is class actions being raised at present, and they've all be, they are being processed. And they've all go through the the, the courts. Um, they're at a very early stage. That's for the VIC condition only. The reason for that, and no other reason, is that VIC is solely attributable to either AstraZeneca or Pfizer, but predominantly. AstraZeneca. So therefore, it's a classified, verified condition to only have been caused by either AstraZeneca or a vaccine, or the Pfizer vaccine. So there's a, there's a no-lose the argument with that one. So that's what we'll go through the, the trials first. In regards to the indemnity, now I have read all three indemnity contracts. I've read the AstraZeneca one, the Pfizer and the Moderna. And each of them, this is the government contract, clearly states the indemnity is only in place if the data, the safety data or the trial data is robust and adequate. That argument has been blown out of the water in every single case. Moderna doesn't get used here very much now. No. Because it causes problems. Pfizer, no, they try to, not Pfizer and the FDA tried to hide the data for 75 years and look how that turned out. We've seen the reports of that. There's 55,000 pages being released so far. And I know at least 2,000 researchers are looking through those pages and putting them all in the right place because they've all been mixed up. Of course they have. This is what they do when they drop documents. Yeah, of course they yeah. have. By we the way... The data is out the window. That nullifies their indemnity. As was Zeneca. Well, their indemnity was nullified before they even started because they don't have any safety data. There was none. There was none. Because they did two animal trials, got the Emergency Use Act in the UK and went straight ahead in the UK and issuing the, this test drug. Let me the read reason it. Sorry. They didn't do it in America because it, it failed the Emergency Use Act. It didn't get its license in America because the FDA rejected AstraZeneca on the data that they supplied as being outdated, incomplete and incorrect. 
That was the same day the UK government took and didn't do anything with it. They just went ahead and put it through any humans. And the media, again, we, we always come back to the media. It's the media's job then to, to, to never stop talking about that. And if the media does its job, somebody like yourself, Alex, will think twice before going and and having the job because you'll have heard it. If the media does its job properly and reports this and drags these guys on, these CEOs, onto TV programmes and demands answers. Let me read a couple of comments, some very interesting comments and some questions for you as well. Sure. Isabel asks, Richie, could you please ask Alex, based on his own uh, terrible reaction to the uh, to the job, what does he think about the COVID jobs being provided now to children as young as six months, as well as to pregnant women, and also his reaction when he hears of so many young athletes and teenage football players dropping down either very unwell or dropping down uh, dead. Yeah, they've approved it for six-month-old babies. What do you think? Yeah. Um, I'll start with the last point, which is six-month-old babies and upwards. As an idol, I'm not here to tell you what to do. I can't tell you do that. You're an idol. Do your own research, do your own thinking. I'm not here to tell you what to do. I'm telling you what goes wrong, what happens when it goes wrong. This is where you are. You're left abandoned. With regards to ch- children, that's a different story. As a parent, I've got a duty of care. And for every parent in this country and this world, three simple questions. One, can you supply the independently verified safety data for children? Two, will this government support my child for life should it go wrong? Three, will the pharmaceutical companies support my child for life should it go wrong? Now, as a parent, you should ask those questions. And if the answer to any of them is no, you really should be thinking about what you're doing with your child. And worldwide, the answer right now to all three is no. It's an There's no need for this to be given to children. Children have a 0.2% chance of taking a reaction with this virus. They're 99.98% chance of not having a problem with it. They've got more than a 3% chance of having a reaction with these boosters, whatever you want to call them. There's more at risk from taking something that they don't need to protect them. There's, there's, no, there's no verified reason for children to be given this unless they have serious underlying health conditions. So that's my stance on children. When I hear athletes and young people and some of the young ones, I, I come, you know, obviously you've mentioned Twitter, that's where I spend most of my time. And I come across thousands of people not just in the UK, I'm in touch with people in Australia, Canada, um, America, Denmark. They're, they're all over the world. And the number of young people that are coming down being diagnosed with POTS, myocarditis, pyocarditis, trachea, is horrific. Now, I'm 58 this year. I don't know. You're a young man, but it looks at your picture, Richard. Give so over. You... 47. I look 67. But uh, no, I'm only yeah. 10 years younger than you, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but you're looking a lot younger than I am. I've had, I've had a few hits this last couple of years that took a bit of age off me. <laughs> to say the least, yeah. To say the least. <laughs> Sorry, where was I going there? I lost my train of thought. We're talking about young people and uh, yeah. athletes and, you know, you, you, so you started talking about all these incidences of myocarditis and pericarditis. That's where we were. I, I, I've been in very physically sports-wise all my life, whether it be boxing or martial arts. Scaffolding doesn't get much physical than that. 
And in my 58 years, I've maybe heard of three or four people under the age of 40 having problems with their hearts. I'm hearing this three or four times a day. And this is young lads, young girls, young physical with fit people, professional athletes. That's another story, professional athletes. Yeah, look, I'm not saying everything of the 1.5 million adverse effects reported to the yellow card. I'm not saying the 2,500, 2,740, I think it is, deaths are all attributable to these three vaccines. However, the question has to be asked, then what is causing it if it's not the vaccines? And why not suspend it? This is the thing. We talked on this show yeah. a few times over the years about rollouts in the 70s that were suspended when there were reports of a handful of deaths. They panicked. No, we know yeah. these three vaccines have caused more deaths and injuries than every other medical vaccine procedure it's been put together in the last 50 years combined. That's right. That's, you know, it's not as if we're pulling stats out of our backsides and saying, look at this. So why do you think governments are reluctant to pull the plug on it? Is it because they think it's gone too far to save their own arses? So the best thing to do is to bury your head and just let it go I, on? Or, because I can't understand this, because if, if all things were equal and people were just people, and they were not being pressured by external forces. If I was Rishi Sunak, I wouldn't be so worried about covering my own arse. I'd be worried about continuing to do damage. I'd be worried about making it worse for myself. So I'd be inclined to say, right, stop this fucking thing now. Stop it now. But we, we have to stop it, and we have to investigate this. And I, I why? think I, yeah, um, and I can come up with a couple of reasons. Money the fact that they don't want to admit they're wrong. Yeah. The fact that they still believe that they're right, despite the evidence. I really don't know what the honest answer is. I do know that these people cannot say they're 100% safe and effective. No, they can't. Uh, um, what, about those, what about those who go a step further? And by those, I don't mean me, because I don't know. I do wonder sometimes. But those who go a step further and say that there is something sinister going on here, more than we could even imagine. Something that is so evil to be almost unimaginable for a decent person. Um, would it surprise me? No. Do I think that's the case? I can't give you an answer because I'm too busy fighting just trying to get help and support for this yeah, fight. Yeah. Um, the more I look at these things, the more dots you see pointed one way. And the more you, you see that all the so-called conspiracy theories of the last four years, particularly the last two years, have all been proved to be pretty much correct. You know, do I want to believe it? No, I don't. I don't want. To, I never thought a government could be this nefarious with its own people. I really didn't. And then coming from a so-called streetwide Glasgow lad, that's quite a statement. I always knew there was bent. You know, there was corruptness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I never imagined it could be at this level. But we've now realised that these pharmaceutical companies, all of them, none of them are, you know, are, are honest companies. Every one of them, Pfizer and AstraZeneca are the two most fine companies in the world. And you know some of the things they've done over the years, Alex? I mean, long before um, COVID, I remember seeing, I don't think it's even on YouTube anymore, but the author, John Grisham, who writes all the legal thrillers, years and years and years ago, you're going back a long time now, 
he did um he did a, a reading of one of his books, you know, a few pages at a library. And I th- I'm sure it was Grisham. So he was with somebody, he was with a publisher. And they talked about how these companies get their drugs passed. And I remember thinking to myself as, you know, I was a bit younger, 15 years ago probably, thinking I've never ever in my life heard anything so evil, you know. Doing your your, your trials for, for painkillers and for various drugs, doing them in the poorest places in the world and paying people, say, 40 or 50 bucks, say, to take an abortion pill, for example, you know, um, to trial, in a, you know, people who've got no money. And this is what they do. The worst of the, I mean, some of the most disgusting things I've ever heard about companies. And I remember thinking when they rolled out the COVID jobs, I remember thinking, these are the bastards that trial their drugs on in the third world and kill people and then bury that data, lie about it, you know, buy congressmen and women and women and senators. And uh, how the hell would you take, you know, and I, I was lucky to know that stuff. I'm not a brighter man I'm not than you I'm not a better man than you god damn it I'm not I I, th- I think th- I'm so lucky to learn about that stuff to have you know n- there was no way I was going to take it and and I think how unlucky you were you know for that to happen I, these are the worst companies I, in the world go ahead yeah I, I think that everyone every decent human being has suffered horrifically over the last two years including those that have said from the very beginning, there's something wrong with these, I'm not taking them. The mental stress that these people have been put through for not taking it, you know, I understand it because I get it from every angle. That's the, the probably the biggest problem we deal with, is that we get it from the anti-vaxxers because we took a vaccine. We get it from the pro-vaxxers because we took a vaccine. We can't win. And it doesn't help that social media label me as misinformation. You know, that's the biggest kick in the bollocks, that one. They don't want to, you know, how can I be misinformation? You're just, just for reporting what happened to you, you were, you had tweets yeah, taken down. You were kicked off for a while, were you, off Twitter? No, I've been kicked off twice. Um, once for reacting to someone, I'm a Scottish lad, I'm a scaffolder. <laughs> You get, you get it as it comes, you know, and I don't always paint the nice. Yeah. And I knew I was getting, I knew I was getting suspended for that one, as I was calling them every type and every letter of the words, you know. As yeah, you yeah. are. Yeah, you can imagine. Um, being a scaffolder, that was better for him than me actually getting him better throat. Yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I've passed a few sweary scaffolders over the years, and I am, I, I am prone to a bit of swearing. Me being an Irish guy, but the, but the misinformation stuff that has to to sting, and then again, that has to be very sinister when you think the lengths that social media companies went to to disappear any criticism, even from genuine people who had been officially terribly damaged by the jabs, they try and shut you down, and yeah, yeah. again, you have to wonder what's in it for them, like advertising money for sure, no doubt about that, but again. Is there something else going on? Do you think, while, while, while I have you on this subject, do you think that the Elon Musk takeover of Twitter is anything to be optimistic about on that front? At the moment, yes, I'm being optimistic. I'm under no illusions. Elon Musk isn't in this for me. I'm nothing to Elon Musk. Um, but if he's going to go with, we'll get some freedom of speech, we'll get some uncensorship, we'll get some unshadow banned, 
unrestricted, unthreatened, you know. My tweets don't go anywhere now. I get restricted to some level. If they would just take that away and let me just tell my truth, I'll take it while I can. At some point, that will change, because this is not my game. This is Elon's game. Now, I've reached out to every single person in the world on this that's got a name, and very few want to know. And that tells me more about the state of play than anything. Why are so many big people not prepared to stand up and say, we should look at this as a problem? I don't I'm not saying it, yeah. stop. I'm saying look at this as a problem. It's hard for me that because, you know, having... Uh, like I've worked in the mainstream media, pretty much all bloody levels. I did the producing as well as the presenting. And yeah, it's pretty horrible that they'll go so far. You know, they'll, they'll stand up for the civil liberties aspect. They'll say people shouldn't be coerced into taking them. They'll say that we shouldn't lock down. They'll say all that. Some of them like talk radio, but they won't go the extra mile. And it's their job as journalists to go the extra mile. You know, you should be on Sky News, you should be on the BBC. You know, not not so much talking to me, but they won't. GB News, never, I believe, is doing something. I'll never be on the BBC, that I will state publicly. <clears throat> These people have caused me so much trauma that I, I, I know I couldn't sit with certain individuals. It's not safe for them and it's not safe for me. I'm not a violent person, but if certain individuals were within six feet of me, I'm going to tell you they've got low chance of fucking leaving the room. Excuse my language. No, no, no. Don't worry about the language. But of course, you couldn't just sit there and allow them just lie. Of course, you're going to react. I, I totally get that. I, you know, I could have a short fuse myself. Absolutely right. Like it's it's the knowing that they're lying. Like when yeah. when when Bridgen put it to Sunak, you know, Sunak said his first the first line of his answer was. I believe these jobs to be safe and effective. I've interviewed a million people over the years. I've interviewed politicians, prime ministers. I've interviewed presidents, um, you know, Irish presidents. I've interviewed prime ministers, British. I interviewed David Cameron when he was prime minister when I was on the radio in Spain. I, 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 I've, I, I've, I've done it all with these people. I know when they know they're lying. And there were, there were, there were about three tells, Alex, the famous body language tells in Sunak yep. when he answered that question. He knows he's lying. He knows these are not safe and they're certainly not effective by their own admission. They don't really do very much in terms of stopping people getting it or, or stopping people from passing it on or preventing them passing it on. That courier, as we say in Ireland, knows these things are not safe. Yeah. And the problem is that while they have the control of the mainstream media, because clearly they do, we are going to struggle to get support and help. And that is the bottom line. Now, you're right, most people that this would happen to would like to crawl into a corner and disappear for the world. I'm no different in that aspect. I didn't set out a year and a half ago to be where I am now. I set a year and a half ago to try and get help and support. And I'm still trying to get help and support. It's not just about the money. It's about the psychological side of it, the, the, the impacts that people don't see. You know, um, not just for me. I'm lucky. I'm medically recognised. And the government has finally accepted it. There's no debate with me. There's no side rows. There's no argument. There's no debate. I just tell my truth. Other people 
I struggling to even just get acknowledged medically. And the trauma that that's doing with the gaslighting, which on top of the social media pile on, we've lost seven people now to suicide. I can't take another suicide. It's not, it's not normal for people to prefer not to be here because society has just turned against them. It's bad enough feeling abandoned and ignored and denied by your own government. But when your own fellow peers, citizens do it to you and call you anti-vaxxer or conspiracy theorists, these people really need to take a good look in the mirror because it's comments like that that sometimes put people like myself in a place that they should never be. Do you think they're terrified, some of them, because they themselves have taken it and they maybe have come to understand that it might be a time bomb? It might not be, and please God, it won't be. Nobody wants to see anybody get hurt. I, and, but but it might, there might be that fear, you know, that it could be them, maybe. Of course there is, and I, and I get that, and I totally understand it, and a bit of buyer's remorse, and a bit of anger that they've been conned. The thing with anger, it's got to be directed in the right way. Don't direct it at another victim. Direct it at the people that's caused it. Direct it at the doctors that's it's gaslighting. And understand why people are... Because some people don't want to believe that a government would do this to, to its own people and deny them. But all we need to do is look at the last 50 years and go to the thalidomide scandal and work your way forward. There's clearly, this is cycle. It goes round in cycle. These people come out with products, push them, people get hurt and die, and they bugger off and leave people in a mess. It's time to stop that. You mentioned places like uh, Africa and things like that. You know, the Gates Foundation spent an awful lot of money doing a vaccine in Africa that really destroyed an awful lot of women, killed an awful lot of women caused lots of fertility problems, That's and they right. shut the program down and buggered off. And in India. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'll mention these people. Yeah, yeah. Also, we've got the connection that the Gates also gave £40 million pounds to the UK, uh, sorry, to AstraZeneca and helping them with uh, researching anti-vaccines. That's not up for debate. Why are we giving someone who's got no medical experience any airplay? I wouldn't get that. I go into the telly and say, don't take a vaccine, they're dangerous. I'll get sued, dragged into the station and all sorts. I'm not allowed to say things like that because I'm not a medical doctor, but somebody called Bill Gates, who's not a medical doctor, he's not even got a fucking degree in anything, come and tell the world what to do. And do, you know, do you know he's been on the BBC a few times and they've left him away with equating himself with medical professionals. He, he does that quite a lot. Um, doctors and, and people like myself, or, or he'll just say, you know, doctors, and he'll say, you know, like me, and medical experts, you know, like myself and the foundation. And they never stick, you know, hang on a second. You, you never get a, a BBC, or anybody really who says, hang on a second, you're not a medical expert. You're not. You're a software designer. That's about all you are. You, that's a very good point you make. Yeah. And not a good one either. Yeah, let's let's not talk about the antitrust trials of the nineteen yeah. eighties yeah, and nineteen nineties. Yeah, Alex, we've got we've we've got about sixty seconds tops left on this today. I want to just very quickly um, recommend that people follow you on Twitter. You've got thousands of followers there already, but go on and follow Alex. It's at 
AKE, so it's at Alpha Kilo Echo, AKE 2306, AKE 2306. I'll copy Alex in when I put the podcast online later. So we'll say 40 seconds. I'll give you the final word. And uh, listen, I'll be happy to speak to you again in the new year on these issues. So you're always welcome back, Alex. Oh, uh, much uh, no, mate, just thanks for sharing that. People need to hear that there's another side to these jabs that they need to consider before they make these decisions. Um, quick final word to you and thanks for your time today. I'm honoured that you came on, I really am. No, I'm honoured you asked me. Thank you very much for asking me. For those that that listened, I apologise for the Scottish accent going so fast at times. No um, where the Glasgow lads speak faster than normal and I do try and slow it down to get passionate. <laughs> um, thank you so much for your time. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm telling you to do your research. That's all you can do. And be good to each other. It doesn't take nothing. You enjoy the rest of your Monday, Alex. Um, we're, we're, we're connected on social media. We're in touch anyway. And um, there, there will be news going forward with, with maybe, please God, class actions. But, but still, we'll keep in touch. And you're welcome back on any time. The door's wide open to you. Uh, again, thanks for your time today. Godspeed, pal. Talk soon. Take care. Thank you. Thanks, Alex.